Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Wednesday, August 30th. Coming up, we'll talk about why cases of missing Black women often go unreported and uninvestigated. But first, some headlines. A new Missouri lawsuit claims that if Kansas City and St. Louis are allowed to enact stricter gun regulations, rapes and homicides would spike. KCUR's Frank Morris reports the suit seeks to keep the proposed measures off the ballot. Missouri has some of the nation's loosest gun regulations. Kansas City and St. Louis have some of the nation's highest homicide rates. They'd like to tighten local gun restrictions, but Missouri law forbids it. So public safety advocates want to put constitutional amendments on the ballot next year, letting voters statewide decide if Missouri's two most populous cities and counties should have some autonomy to regulate guns. But Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey argues that gun restrictions would drive up murder and rape, costing the state hundreds of millions of dollars. Paul Barry, a St. Louis County Republican, has filed a lawsuit asking a judge to throw out three possible ballot measures based on Bailey's claims. The Caw Nation reclaimed a sacred rock yesterday from the city of Lawrence. Jim Pepper Henry is vice chairman of the Native American Nation. At a ceremony held with the city, he said the 28-ton red quartzite boulder was once a gathering place along the Kansas River for praying, akin to a church. Descendants of white settlers turned it into a monument to the founders of Lawrence. White settlers that came into this area were leaving their homelands to escape oppression and suppression and coming here for freedom. But we were truly free people and we had our freedom taken away. The Kaw Nation will move the rock tomorrow to its last remaining tribal land in Kansas near Council Grove. The Kaw controlled two-fifths of what is now Kansas in the early 1800s before being forced out of the state. The tribe is now headquartered in Oklahoma. Missouri prisoners will no longer be able to receive books from friends and family starting September 25th. The Missouri Department of Corrections says the new policy is intended to keep drugs from arriving in the mail, and incarcerated people will still be able to buy books for themselves and borrow them from the library. Dylan Piles is co-founder of Liberation Lit, a Kansas City group that ships free books to Kansas and Missouri prisons. He says most of the people who contact the group can't afford to buy their own books. Books are... One of the main ways that folks who are serving time or incarcerated are able to create a lifeline with the outside world and to limit that access in any way to me is truly like cruel and unusual punishment. Missouri prison policy already requires all books be ordered from vendors like Amazon and be shipped directly to prisons so they can't be intercepted or contaminated with drugs. We'll be back after this. Black women are less than 15% of the nation's population, but they make up nearly a third of missing women. In Jackson County, a quarter of all missing people are black women. And one recent case in Kansas City made national headlines as the result of a story by the Kansas City Defender that raised concerns about how police handle cases of missing black women. The remains of one woman connected to that case were found in the Missouri River in late June. She's at the center of a story by KCUR's investigative reporter Peggy 
below. Peggy joined Chris Wade, executive director of human rights organization Justice Project KC, to tell KCUR's Steve Kraske why these cases don't get the attention they deserve. Peggy, this story is a lot more complex than just one person who was found. Janie's story is connected to a larger set of concerns about how law enforcement treated missing persons cases. It made national news last fall. What's the context there? So last fall, it was October, um, a woman escaped from a man's home. His name is Timothy Haslett Jr. in Excelsior Springs. He's 40 years old. And she reported to police that he held her captive and beat her and raped her for more than a month. He had picked her up off prospect. She was about 22 years old. And she told police that there were other women that he hurt. So that created this big, really national firestorm that I know you had on your show several times about um, the black community suggesting that the uh, Kansas City Police Department ignored the missing women from Prospect or Independence Ave. Um, and the police denied this, saying, for instance, in Janie, Janie's case, there was no missing persons file. It, you know, she was not reported as missing. So I wanted to go back and tell the story of Janie specifically because I want to know and I want to tell our listeners who these women are. And I think that their personalities in their lives kind of got caught up in this larger conflict between the black community and the Kansas City Police Department, which is um, absolutely understood and expected. But there's this other part of the story that I thought was important. You know, as you know, the KCPD reinstated its missing persons unit as a result of all this. What have you heard about the department's efforts since that time? It was one of the first things that uh, Chief Stacy Graves did when she got the job. So that was pretty remarkable because the missing persons unit had been disbanded under Rick Smith, the former chief. So that was one of her first things. Uh, she put uh, a captain who's well-respected uh, in in, in charge of it. They quickly had a news conference that said, we're going to focus on this. We're putting quite a few officers on it. And now they're even um, placing, it's called the blue sheet. It's the daily crime stats from KCPD. And on the blue sheet every day is an update of the missing persons within the Kansas City area. So it certainly feels like they're putting quite a bit of attention on it. You know, Peggy, there is there any validity to the concern that law enforcement ultimately doesn't take cases of missing black women all that seriously? Well, it's been a lifelong problem, right? I mean, Chris is over here shaking her head at me. I've covered part of that story back in the 1980s for the star. Yeah. Right. And you and I have talked about, we're old cops reporters. When you're working a Saturday night cop shift and, you know, you get a report that there's a dead woman out there and you take it to your boss and you say, um, oh, she was working the streets. And so it's like, eh, that's not as important as, oh, that white woman that went missing from Brookside. Right. And that's a terrible, terrible thing we did. Mm-hmm. And but it happened and it still happens. So I, it's hard to say, I, it's hard to just ba- blame the police, I guess is what I'm saying. I would blame the media as well. Chris, what's your take on this? Well, I, I kind of agree with her. Um, I, I think that part of it is that the public needs to be educated about if you believe that someone in one of your friends, your family, uh, a close associate, someone you work with is missing, get as much information about that individual as you can. Because in order to investigate a, a, a missing person, you need to have as much information as possible about where that person hangs out. You know, So uh, the public needs to understand that you, know, you can't just expect anyone to go out and just start randomly hunting. 
But do you think the police have any culpability over the years, Chris? I think they do. Yes, I do. From the past, yes. And I'm very hopeful with Chief Graves. I really am. And I'm very pleased that a woman's in charge. Yeah. And hopefully that'll help with some sensitivity towards this issue. I also talked to Chris, and this was in my story, too, at KCUR.org, about the fact that people on the street don't report people on the street as missing. Right, Chris? Well, there's always somebody missing out there. You know, there'll be people that'll drop off the map for a few weeks. Maybe they're in in treatment. Maybe they're in the hospital. Maybe they're incarcerated for a time. Uh, Maybe they've... And, and in the case of people who are being used in prostitution, they may have run off with a date for a week or two. You never know what might happen. They're used to people being gone. And and plus, or they're used to people coming and going, I should right. say, from the street. The other thing is that they may not even know that individual's real government name. Mm. They may not have an act. They may say, well, it was so-and-so. She goes by such-and-such. Well, that doesn't help. Well, what you're describing is a situation that makes it pretty complex for police, doesn't it? I it, mean, it does. I mean, this is not an easy problem. No. There's more complicated than maybe it looks on the surface. That's right. Well, black women make up about 25% of missing people in Jackson County, Peggy. How does that stack up against national data? So national data is about a third of the missing persons are, are women of color, are black women. So it's it's been a chronic problem forever, Steve. And why? What, what, what's the basis for that number being as high as it is? I guess it's um, poverty. It's um, addiction. It's mental health. Uh, Chris, you have said Janie suffered from some mental health problems. You're nodding your head, Chris, as Peggy's yeah, talking. I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. There's a there's a numerous factors involved. And um, yeah, she definitely had her challenges. And and uh, those kind of challenges are very difficult to struggle with. And like I said earlier, you know, um, when someone goes missing in the streets, people just don't, uh, they don't notice, they don't yeah. understand. And I, I think that the police have, have uh, they've worked very, very hard to make it right. Do you think, at the end of the day, Chris, that there's enough attention being given to the problem of missing black women? And if so, what do we need to do about that? I think nationally, there is definitely not. I I think globally, probably, there is uh, women in general, and particularly women of color. Mm-hmm. I think it's a huge issue, and um, I'm I'm hopeful that here in, in Kansas City, Missouri, we'll be able to, to put a better focus on it. But I, w- I, I would agree with that, yes. You're saying this change in the chief, uh, chiefs might make a mm-hmm. difference. What else would make a difference here? Well, I think the community, you know, understanding about how to report people missing, what the process is. And, and for the police department, I haven't had to report anybody missing for a while. But, you know, streamline the process. Make it so people don't feel intimidated to come in and report mm. someone. Is that an issue? I, I think it is. I think any time uh, people that aren't used to dealing with law enforcement have to deal with law enforcement, it, it can make them very nervous, especially if they live in the urban core. You know, the Justice Project, KC, offers a lot of services for women in poverty. Tell me a, a bit about more about what work you, you aim to do and, and uh, what the Justice Project KC is all about. Well, we're kind of a combination of, of uh, direct service to individuals like street outreach, uh, different forms of advocacy, that sort of thing, be able to refer them on to other agencies that have more capability and funds that we do. Um, so basically, we just try to help, help them figure out, you know, what kind of obstacles are you dealing with that are holding you back, and, and how can we help you resolve those in partnership? That helps. Chris, if someone's missing, what should someone do? Well, what's, the, what's the step you take? I would say 
um, if you really believe someone is missing, and especially if they may have uh, come to foul play, get as much information, detailed information about that individual, a picture. What do they look like now? Where do they hang out? Who who do they run around with? Pictures probably are hard to come by, though, in some well, cases. Well, yeah. And I mean, for example, we don't take pictures on the street. That's a good way to get a bullet in your brain. Mm-hmm. So now we sometimes would take pictures if we have a little party or a little event. Some of the women come. But you don't take pictures. Why? What's the... Well, for one thing, people are distrustful of people who are taking pictures of you on the street. Mm -hmm. What if you have a warrant? Mm -hmm. You know, what if you're on the run from your bad, uh, violent baby daddy and you don't want to be seen in that area or have someone take your picture and put it on their Facebook page? Oh, here we are at Independence Avenue in Indiana. That causes problems for some people. It it can. It, It can get people killed. That was KCUR's Peggy Lowe and Steve Kraske and Chris Wade of Justice Project KC. You can hear their entire conversation from KCUR's Up to Date at KCUR.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Paris Norvell and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Peggy's reporting on missing women, visit KCUR.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. If you like our show, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.